Here at Calvary Chapel Northeast, it's our goal to make disciples of Christ by exalting our God, equipping believers, and engaging in our community. Thanks for tuning in to this week's CCNE podcast. Today, Pastor Brennan will be speaking out of the book of Acts. We'll find in our study here today, Paul and Barnabas and, and John Mark. Paul and Barnabas have been separated by the Holy Spirit for the work of God. They were surrendered to the plan and purpose that God had for them. This idea of worship, sometimes we think of worship as just that time when we sing at the beginning. And that's not what worship is. Worship is about surrender. Worship is about giving the Lord everything, saying, I am yours. Do with me as you will. Lord, take my will from me. Take my plans. Take my desires, Lord. Use me as you see fit. We see that Paul and Barnabas were surrendered in this way. They had been separated, it said, by the Holy Spirit. Through prayer, the church had identified that these were the two that they were going to send out on this particular journey. And they were ready to go, separated from the things that they may have desired, separated from the things that they may have wanted to do, the plans that they may have had, surrendered to the Lord and His plan, saying, God, we'll go. Wherever you want us to go, we'll go. The church had been continuously in prayer. They'd fasted, they laid hands on them, and they sent them out. You see, we have a responsibility to do that same thing as a church. We don't often see these things playing out the same way today, but we could. And we should take seriously the workers that we have, those that are serving both within the body, those that are we are sending out, the missionaries that we support, and one another as we are seeking the calling of the Lord on our lives, praying for one another continuously. This should be an example to us. As we all, I know, are striving to recognize and to know the calling that the Lord has on our lives, so often we're asking the question, God, what do you have for me? What do you want me to do? What is it that you've created me for? Are we in prayer together as a body of believers seeking the Lord about that? That he would answer that prayer and show us. Imagine a body of believers continuously in prayer together, lifting one another up and recognizing through the power of the Spirit the calling that he's placed on our lives and encouraging one another in that. And so we need to be praying. We need to be supporting one another in this way. We all must be a part of the work of the ministry because it isn't easy. It's not easy. As we'll see, Paul and Barnabas, no sooner had they been sent out that they began to run into opposition. The very first part of their journey, they ran into obstacles. And you see, Christian, that's what will happen. It's inevitable. We must expect it. Not because we're looking to be negative or not because we're just expecting the worst, but when we step out in faith, knowing that the Lord has called us to something, we should anticipate the enemy is going to try to disrupt that plan. It shouldn't be something that surprises us. And we'll see that happen here very quickly with Paul and Barnabas as we pick up in verse 6. But before we go any further, if you would just agree with me in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, as we pause and go to your word, Lord, we thank you already for how your spirit has moved here, Lord, through our time of praise and worship, the message here today. We have within this particular chapter, Lord, what is ultimately a simple message, a simple reminder of something that's incredibly profound. And no matter where we are in our walks with you, whether there's individuals here today that do not know you as Lord and Savior, or there's those who are considering the calling, something that you're working on in their lives, or maybe somebody here today who's been wandering from their faith, who's been discouraged. Lord, there's so much within what Paul here reminds us of today of our faith, the individuals he mentions, the way in which you've worked throughout history. And so I pray today, Lord, that you'd speak to us. Teach us, Lord that we'd leave here different today, more in love with you. Father, do that work, we pray in Jesus' name. 
Amen. And so in verse 6, we read, Now, when they had gone through the island to Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. First of all, Paphos here was an immoral city. It was an evil city. It was known for its worship of Venus, and pagan traditions ran strong in this city. And here, Paul and Barnabas sought to pierce the darkness there with the gospel, the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they met resistance from a sorcerer. Now, it was a common thing that leaders in the area would have various counselors. Many of times, some of those counselors would be sorcerers. So this wasn't uncommon for this individual to be here functioning in this way. And frequently, when we see the call of a believer confirmed, as I've mentioned already, when you go and you step out and you step out in faith, oftentimes you meet resistance. And it was very quickly here that Paul and Barnabas ran into resistance. We need to be prepared for opposition, Christian. Walking by faith isn't always easy. Surrender to Jesus Christ doesn't mean that suddenly all of the issues and the challenges go away. Surrender to Jesus Christ doesn't mean that all of a sudden you've just got this incredible faith and you don't worry about anything anymore. Rather, God then begins to give you opportunity to strengthen that faith. You've heard me say last week, and and likely many people say that faith is a muscle. It needs to be worked out. It needs to be strengthened. And so as we step out in faith, God continues to give us those opportunities to strengthen our faith. But the reality is there's challenges in that. There's challenges in pursuing our calling. And doing the right thing is oftentimes the hardest thing to do. But these men knew what they were called to do. They knew what they were setting out to accomplish. And so they meet this sorcerer on the way who's trying to disrupt them from sharing the gospel with the governor of this area. That's what the proconsul was. He was the governor of the area. And it's amazing that he sought them out. He was asking for them to come. He had heard word of what they had been teaching and the power that was within the gospel, and he wanted to hear it. But of course, the sorcerer, worried that he was probably going to lose his job, and moved by the enemy, wanted to disrupt the plan of God. And that's what Satan's always trying to do, is to disrupt the plan of God. If you know that you are walking in faith, that the Lord has called you to something, and you are faithfully following it, and opposition is coming, you can rest assured that that the enemy's trying to disrupt that plan that God is carrying out in your life. And so here's Saul, who is called Paul in verse 9, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him. So, Paul's looking at this man, this sorcerer, and though his name was Bar-Jesus, they wouldn't call him that. They didn't even want to use Jesus' name in the same sentence with this guy. So they referred to him as his name is translated, and he looks intently at him, and he says in verse 10, O full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. We see here power exercised on the part of the Apostle Paul. It says that he was full of the Holy Spirit. And that's a significant thing here, that Paul was so moved by the Holy Spirit, he didn't just do this flippantly. God had directed him in this way. 
But Paul was upset too. He was upset that this man would try and disrupt the plan of God, that he would try and step between him and what God wanted to do. He knew that there was a man there who wanted to hear the gospel, who was seeking truth, and he wasn't going to let this person stop him. And so he cast blindness upon him. You know, this is something we don't see happen very often. Pastor Chuck would say, if we had this, we'd get a little carried away. If we had the ability to, if somebody's making you mad, you know, ah, I can cast some blindness upon you, we might get a little, you know, a little free with that power that we have. He was full of the Holy Spirit. He knew what needed to be done. He knew that there was someone who wanted to hear the gospel. And they weren't going to let this stop them. And that's the thing that we need to understand, is as we're pursuing that calling, not allowing the disruptions that the enemy brings our way to stop us, that's what we should see here, that we need to work through those challenges. Of course, we should have discernment. We should always be praying for discernment because sometimes there's a closed door. But when we know that Lord has given us an open door, when he's confirmed the calling, when he's called us to something in particular, we need to pursue that and not allow the enemy to stop it. And I am sure that Paul was thinking here of his own blindness. That time when he was blinded on the road to Damascus, when for three days he had to consider what he thought to be true and how God had totally shaken his world. And here I'm sure he was praying that this man too would have the same experience, that he would let go of the evil that was in his life and surrender his life to Jesus Christ. And here as the power of the word was evident to this Roman leader, he believed. He was astonished at the teaching. And so it has been in many of our lives that as we come to understand what the gospel says, when those words come alive to us, when we begin to really realize who Jesus Christ is, that we're astonished by all that we now know and understand as we surrender our lives to him. And in verse 13, we read now, when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos. So this is all we get from this particular area is this encounter with this man. And so again, it's the same thing here is is just looking back and recognizing God's hand on your life and the various divine appointments that you have, the various encounters that you have with individuals that though they're brief, they're profound. But they're moving on here then quickly, and it says that they set sail from Paphos, and they came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. And so this is an important thing to recognize here, because what happens here is that Mark leaves. This is John Mark, and this is where he leaves Paul and Barnabas. And this caused a strain to the relationship. We don't know the exact reasons why Mark departed at this point. Perhaps Mark was tired of the journey. Maybe he was shaken by what had just happened. Maybe he didn't like where they were going. They're on the coast now. They're in an area, a region that was fairly tropical, for lack of a better term. It's believed that, based off of what we see in Galatians and the fact that they leave this area very quickly, that this is where Paul became ill for a period of time. He recognizes that in Galatia, the symptoms that he had while they were there, and so they move on quickly. Maybe maybe he didn't want to be there in that area. Maybe health was his concern. Maybe he was concerned over the fact that Paul was becoming more of the leader over his cousin Barnabas at this point. In either case, it created tension, and it created tension for some time. Later on, Barnabas will want to bring Mark back with them, and Paul will say, no, no, it's not going to happen, which causes then Barnabas to go off on his own, and then Paul and Silas go off on their journey together. But we'll see eventually that this relationship is restored. Later on, Paul will recognize the importance that Mark plays in his life. And I pause here on this one to recognize here, just as we touched on Hebrews 11 briefly last week, it's important for us to recognize that these are still just men. 
You see, though we look and think of the disciples and, and all the different things that they did, and the Apostle Paul in particular, and how powerful he was in his word and his testimony and the ministry that God had called him to, he was still just a man. And we share in the weaknesses of these disciples. We share in their weaknesses, but that also means that we can share in their faith. It means that we too can live a life like they lived if we would believe and if we would pursue the Lord with our whole heart. Because they still had problems. They still... They still had relationship issues. They still had times in which they disagreed, but they worked through that, and we see that they were eventually restored. And so that should be an encouragement to us. Nevertheless, Mark here leaves, and they move on. They move on from this place without really preaching the gospel there. Again, we don't know exactly why. Maybe they were troubled over Mark's departure. Maybe it was that Paul fell ill for a period of time. Whatever the case was, they began to move on. And so in verse 14, it says that they departed from Perga, and they came to Antioch and Pisidia, And they went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them, saying, Men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. So they didn't stay in Pamphylia. They moved on from there. And here they are now coming into the synagogue. And this is the area of Galatia. So when we see the letter to the Galatians, it's really everything we're reading today and into chapter 14, it's these regions that belong to the area of Galatia. So when Paul writes to the Galatians, it's these people that he's writing to. And here they are going into the synagogue, and it was the custom in the synagogue that they would read the law and the prophets. They would do so on a regular basis. There was a cadence to it in terms of each week what they would be reading from. And at the end of that time, anybody who was educated in the Word would be given the opportunity to share. You think some of them would have seen Paul coming in and think, well, we're not going to give that opportunity today. But they did. And of course, Paul took it. Paul was ready. He was ready to go. He was thinking, man, I have been waiting for 15 years to be out on my first missionary journey. Now, he had been faithful in teaching the Word. He had probably been going into the synagogue all the time in that waiting period. But now he was out there. He was in ministry. He was ready to go. And so he stands up, and we have what is the longest recorded sermon, or at least the full complete sermon. We don't often get this of Paul. We have his letters, but we don't have his sermons. And this sermon serves as a great reminder to us of our foundation. Some of these sections I'll go through rather quickly because, again, it's a reminder of, for those who are here today who know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, it's a reminder of what we believe and why we believe it. And in verse 16 then, Paul stood up and motioning with his hand, he said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he brought them out of it. Now for a time of about 40 years, he put up with their ways in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, He distributed their land to them by allotment. After that, he gave them judges for about 450 years until Samuel the prophet. And afterward, they asked for a king. So God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all my will. Paul stood up among these people. Jews and Gentile converts were present there. Those who feared God. Those were people who had proselytized into the Jewish faith. And he commanded them to listen. He reminded them that God had chosen the people of Israel. That he had protected them from the time that they were in Egypt 
to their exodus from the land, to their wanderings in the desert, God was there. From the crossing of the Jordan and the conquest of the land, God had provided for them. He raised up judges for them, trying to maintain a theocracy, trying to maintain a nation that would be under the rule and authority of God, where the people were ruled by the one true God, yet they wanted something different. They wanted something different than what God had for them, and they asked for a king to rule over them so that they would be like the other nations. It's interesting today, though we won't spend much time on this, today is Constitution Sunday. Those of you that pay attention to U.S. history, today is the anniversary of when our U.S. Constitution was ratified. Say what you want about where our country is at today. I have many opinions about that. And of course, we have a history that sometimes is very dark. But we have one thing that cannot be denied, and that is that the Constitution of the United States is pulled from the Word of God. That we are a unique experiment. We are a unique country, a unique nation that has its roots within the Judeo-Christian faith, that has its roots in the Word of God. And if we try to look at our history and say like many are today, say all the reasons why we're not a Christian nation, well, the problem about that is that you're looking at people. You're looking at imperfect people to try and tell that story, right? And inevitably, there's going to be blemishes along the way. And that's an understatement. No different than imperfect people, you and I included, who do our best to try and sometimes carry out the Word of God, and sometimes we get it wrong. There's a number of times, you know, when I rededicated my life to the Lord, when the Lord got a hold of my heart freshman year of college, that's when surrender came. It was almost as if God wasn't giving me much of a choice. You know, it was like, I thought you said I had free will in this thing. I feel, I feel like you are just weighing down upon me, and he was. I mean, he sent out the hound dogs of heaven on me. And it was a wonderful thing. And I remember some of the scripture that was like light bulbs going off in my mind. And when I came back to him later on, when I knew a little bit about the word, I was like, I totally misinterpreted everything that I read, but it was powerful to me. It was the way in which the word spoke to me at that time. It was what I needed, you know, and later on I realized, oh gosh, I think the word's kind of saying this here. You see, when we think about what we were founded on when we celebrate the fact that this is what our country was founded on. It was these principles. It was the Word of God. Ultimately, though it's not exactly our country in terms of what God had in mind, it was an attempt by those who were coming to try and, and build something that was like that. A nation who would look to their Creator God for the authority, for the power, for the direction, for the wisdom. But foolishly, they said to Samuel specifically, we don't want God to rule over us. We want a king. We want to be like the other nations. And isn't that just like us still? If we're honest, again, we can look back and we can see God's hand on us all along. We can see how God has always been there, providing, directing, caring. He puts up with our wandering. He puts up with our whining. And he remains faithful. But like a foolish son or daughter, we don't recognize the efforts. We instead say, Dad, I want to be like everybody else out there. I want to do it like they do. I think back all the times when I was a kid, and I think of the things that I probably said to my parents that were so hurtful that it wasn't even on my mind because, and it was all rooted in the fact that I saw other people out there, other families that had other things, and I just thought everything that everybody else had was so cool, so great. And I'd tell my parents all about it, about what everybody else was doing, about what everybody else had, foolishly. And I look back now and I think, man, 
They were so faithful, so kind, so patient. And that's our relationship with God, who's there with us that whole time and says, okay, okay, I'll give you what you want, as they asked for a king to rule over them. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 19 through 22, it says, Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. See, Samuel was trying to convince them. Samuel took a lot of this on his own shoulders and said, man, I've screwed up here. God said to Samuel, this isn't about you. They rejected me. And they said, no, but we will have a king over us. Verse 20, that we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. You want a king to judge you? You want a king to fight your battles? You want it to be God who fights your battles? And Samuel heard all the words in verse 21 of the people and he repeated them in the hearing of the Lord. So the Lord said to Samuel, heed their voice and make them a king. And Samuel said to the men of Israel, every man go to his city, that we also may be like the nations. It's foolishness. We always want to be something that we're not, instead of recognizing who God has created us to be, and that he's equipped us to be that very thing. They ask for a king, and God raises up Saul, and Saul rules for 40 years, and Saul started off well, but he did not finish well. Saul and his disobedience to the word of the Lord, his failure to do what God had asked of him, what God had asked of him through Samuel, Saul was ultimately rejected. His reign as king didn't end at that moment, but it began a downward spiral from there. And the word says that after Saul, God raised up a new king, David, who was a man after God's own heart. What a description that we have here of this man. This man after God's own heart. Further, it says, who will do all my will. You see, this is what God is seeking, is it not? Folks, God is looking for the man and the woman who will do his will. He's looking for those individuals who will surrender themselves to him and say, I'm yours. Who won't look to the things of this world to please this world, to be like this world, but to pursue him with their whole heart, to delight in doing his will. David was not a perfect man. He was far from it. David screwed up many times. In fact, this prevented him from being able to accomplish everything that he wanted to do for the Lord. He wanted to build God a home, a temple. He recognized David as he was sitting in his palace, and he thought to himself as he looked out on the tabernacle, and he said to himself, why is it that I dwell in a house of cedar? Why do I dwell in this beautiful house, yet we haven't built a house for our God? And he pursued the Lord. He wanted to serve him. And despite his imperfections, he was a man that pursued the Lord, that sought after him, that was repentant, that recognized the errors in his way, that said, Lord, I'm sorry. And it should be an encouragement to us once again that though we too are weak, we can also possess an incredible faith, a faith like David had, a faith that believes in the promises of God. Because what brought encouragement to David when Nathan had to come to him and tell him that you're not going to be able to build the house of God, is that what we read here in verse 23, from this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a Savior, Jesus. David determined in his heart what he wanted to do. And he goes and he tells Nathan what it was that he wanted to do. And Nathan says, that's great, David. You do all that your heart desires. The Lord came to Nathan later and said, you, you moved too fast. There's been much bloodshed on the hands of David, and he can't build me my house. And you need to go and you need to tell him that he can't build for me a house. But here's what you can tell him. The Savior, the Messiah, will come from his seed. The house of David will reign forever. That was the promise. And David would not see the promise in his life, but he rejoiced in it and believed it. Second Samuel chapter 7 records David's prayer 
at this time. Once Nathan comes and talks to him, and he says at the end of the chapter in verses 28 and 29, And now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are true, and you have promised this goodness to your servant. Now therefore let it please you to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue before you forever. For you, O Lord God, have spoken it. And with your blessing, let the house of your servant be blessed forever. We read in Hebrews 11 last week the account of many who by faith believed. They may not have obtained the promise, but they believed in it. And it was accounted to them for righteousness. They believed. What has God promised you today? Do you believe it? What God has promised to us all is His Son and eternal life through belief in Him. You see, this is what faith is about, is it's about believing the promises of God. Even when you may not even be able to see it or obtain it in your life, you believe it. You know that God has told it to you, and you trust in it. That's what should get us through the anxieties that we face, the trials that we face, the uncertainties of our world today, is a belief in what God is doing and knowing that He will be faithful to complete it. David was made a promise. In verse 24, after John had first preached before his coming, the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel... And as John was finishing his course, he said, Who do you think I am? I am not he, but behold, there comes one after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to loose. John the Baptist was sent to proclaim the coming of the Lord Jesus. And it's Jesus who we're continuing to proclaim today. For God has fulfilled his promise. He promised David that he would bring the Messiah through his line, and he's done that. And here Paul is trying to proclaim to them here in the synagogues of what they knew to be true all along and the promises that they too believed in. And now, proclaiming to them that God's promises have been fulfilled. Men and brethren, he says in verse 26, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to you the word of this salvation has been sent. This word has been sent to us today too. And so because of that, there's something we must do with it. There is a message that's being given to us and it warrants a response. When I'm driving in the car, maybe we're on a family trip and you get in the zone, you know? You get in the zone, you're on your way, everything's, you know, hey, we're just tracking now. And all of a sudden you hear, dad, 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 dad. You know, at some point, Ashley will go, do you hear that? And I'll say, yes, I hear him. I was just trying to hold on a little while longer. It was peaceful there for a moment. Yes, son, there's something I have to do with it. There is a message coming my way, and I can only ignore it for so long before I have to go, okay, yes. Because I know what it's going to mean. I have to pee. We just stopped. It can't be possible. You know, I am notorious for 12-hour road trips. No drinks. No. Swallow your saliva. That's all you get. <laughs> we got to keep going. I digress. But you see, at some point, you have to answer. You have to respond. And let me tell you, just like I was saying earlier, when God sent the hound dogs of heaven on my trail... At some point, you know, I said, it didn't feel like free will at that moment. Of course it was free will. I had a choice, but I couldn't run anymore. I couldn't ignore the words anymore. I couldn't ignore the call anymore because it's the Spirit that draws one under repentance. The Holy Spirit working in your life saying, come on, come on. And you can only ignore it for so long. And here, Paul is saying, this message of salvation, it's been sent to you. And it's been sent to each and every one of you that are here today. Some of you have already responded to it and some of you may have not. Some of you think maybe you've responded to it. Like Ashton shared in his video, it was based off of something that he saw that wasn't actually true. That the Lord had to bring him to a different place in his life to show him, to break him, to cause him to respond. 
for those who dwell in Jerusalem, verse 27, and their rulers, because they did not know him, nor even the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled them in condemning him. He's saying, you guys have fulfilled the words of the prophets because you've condemned him. This is what the prophets said would happen. And though they found no cause for death in him, they asked Pilate that he should be put to death. This is the irony of it, that though they were reading the law and the prophets each and every week, those that spoke of the truth didn't know the truth. They rejected him. And so in churches across America today, Jesus Christ will be preached. And many, many will say they are a Christian. Many will say that they know, but they don't. In verse 29, now when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him up from the dead. And he was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses to the people. And we declare to you glad tidings, that promise which was made to the fathers. It's the promise of God. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, and that he has raised up Jesus. As it is also written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken thus, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Therefore, he also says in another Psalm, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers, and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up saw no corruption. The promises of God fulfilled. And we have a Savior today who is victorious over death, who has seen no corruption. That's been declared to us, and it's been fulfilled. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, verse 38, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Paul was so perfect to share this message. He knew, he knew the law. And that's what made him so frequently declare what people were justified by. After he understood, after he understood the grace and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, he wanted people to understand you're not justified by the law. We are declared righteous by faith. Not by the law, not by our works, not by any action that we can muster up aside from the act of believing. From saying, God, I believe. And that's the foundational piece. First and foremost, I believe in Jesus Christ. But from there, believing in the promises of God, that's what faith is. It's believing. Believing the promises in the word of God. Beware, therefore, verse 40, lest what has been spoken in the prophets come upon you. Behold, you despisers, marvel and perish. For I work a work in your days, a work which you will by no means believe, though one were to declare it to you. This is the problem today. And we're told to beware that though there were one to declare to us the truth, though I proclaim it today, that some will not believe it and they will perish. Some won't believe. Some will turn away. Some will reject it. Sadly, some are getting a false version of that truth. And that's what they're believing in. So when the Jews, verse 42, went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Isn't that fantastic? They said, please, preach it again. They loved it. And when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. To continue in the grace of God. The Gentiles, they begged that this word would be taught to them again. This was their heart. They wanted more of it. And so we should ask ourselves, is that still us? Is that still you? Do you still want more of the word? Are you at a point where there's a fire inside of you that's just, oh, I want more of it, and I want more of it, and I want more of it? We must continue in our faith. We should still want more of the word, more time together, more time in fellowship. 
we often talk about how the fire fades. You know, we look at new baby Christians as just that babies. Oh, aren't they so cute? Then they start to stink and, you know, they grow up and they have attitudes. And then, you know, the fire isn't there anymore. And we kind of talk about it as it's a sort of natural progression. Oh, you've been walking with the Lord for 50 years? Yeah, you know, you know. I remember those days when I first got saved, how excited I was. Why? Why can't we be like, oh, it's still there. It's still there. I'm just as excited. Just as excited. We should maintain this. It says that they persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. If grace is getting what you don't deserve, blessing it, if we continue in that, if we continue in the knowledge of the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ, then we should always be on fire. We should always want more of it. We should always be recognizing why it is that we are who we are and why we have what we have and why we're able to do what we do. That we have the promise of eternal life. And we know who we are, wretched, miserable sinners covered in the blood of the Lamb, promised eternal life. That should give us a hunger each and every day for the Word of God. If you've lost that fire, you may not be recognizing the grace of God in your life anymore. This would be a battle for these people. And so as I say that, we recognize that it's not only common today, it not only happens in our own lives, but it happened to them. Paul would later write in his letter to the Galatians in verse 6, it's the only letter out there that doesn't get the typical really nice greeting. He starts the letter out, you foolish Galatians. He says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. We must continue. We must continue. Verse 44, on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy. And contradicting and blaspheming, they opposed the things spoken by Paul. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold. We're going to pray that you'd be bold, that I'd be bold, that we would all be bold. We can grow in that. We can. That isn't a prayer that God would answer. Emboldened by the Holy Spirit, they grew bold and said, it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. A message of salvation has been declared to us all. What will we do with it? Like many people and many of the Jewish people of the day, we judge ourselves. That's what we're most often guilty of. And not just judging ourselves in a way where it's sort of self-condemnation and we're hard on ourselves, but in a way where we try to determine what's right, what we try to determine what's wrong, what we should believe in. We are not God. God's promises are true, and by faith we can believe them, and in faith we're justified. And when the Gentiles heard this, verse 48, they were glad. Of course they were glad. They were glad that the truth of the word of God was being turned to them, that salvation to the ends of the earth was being declared. They glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. But the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women and the chief men of the city, and they raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. And what did Paul and Barnabas do? Did they say, oh, that's not fair. That's not fair when we wanted to stay here. and You guys are just mean. No. It says that they shook off the dust from their feet. Shook off the dust from their feet against them and came to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. What will you believe today? As we close here, there's so much here. Yes, there is a foundational message of salvation. And that's the most important thing here today. For anybody who's here who may have wandered from the truth, who may not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that's the most important thing is believing in the promises of God, first and foremost, His Son, Jesus Christ, believing in Him. 
But, you know, we see here individuals who are walking by faith and they're facing challenges. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're discouraged. Maybe you're frustrated. Maybe you're doubting the promises of God in your life. Maybe you know that along the way, he's spoken very clearly to you about something. He's called you to something. He's he's said that he's going to do a work in your life and it's not quite happening yet. And so you're starting to wonder. Don't forget about Saul. Saul was given a very clear commandment, specifically when he was going out and he he was supposed to wipe out the whole army in which they were fighting. At the end of it all, he said, well, we saw some pretty good looking livestock. Saw some nice cattle. The king, you know, he didn't want to, king seemed like a nice guy. So we brought it back. We brought it back. He took matters into his own hands. He took what the word of the Lord had said to him. And he said, nah, I'm going to do something a little different with it here. And he lost the anointing as king. Whatever it is in your life, God knows it. And we don't have to fully understand it. We don't get the whole roadmap. We don't get everything that we would like to have, all the information that we would desire. We don't get that all. What we're commanded is to, is to believe it, is to trust it. And so that's what I'm going to put before you today. You, God knows your heart and you, you know right where you're at. And so I'd ask you just to surrender that to the Lord. If you would, just agree with me in prayer now and with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I do want to give an invitation. Anyone here today who may need to surrender their life to Jesus Christ, or maybe you just need to say, I'm, I'm back, Lord. I'm tired of running. I'm tired of fighting. If that's you today, all you need to pray is, Heavenly Father, Lord, I am a sinner in need of forgiveness. forgiveness or in the name of Jesus Christ I recognize and believe that Jesus Christ the one and only begotten son of God gave his life a ransom for all that he was crucified upon the cross he died for my sins his body broken his blood shed and it covers me today and that he lives again and that it's through his victory over sin and death that I can have eternity in heaven with you. And so, Lord, I invite Jesus to come into my heart, to live in me and to reign. I surrender my life to you, Lord, and I pray, do with me as you will. And maybe you're here today and you've prayed that prayer before, but you need to make a commitment to God. You need to recognize the ways in which you've been trying to accomplish your own will in your life that to him now. Say, Lord, I'm sorry. I give that to you. Maybe you've been struggling with doubt and disbelief and and, and you're struggling with what you feel like the Lord has called you to and and you just need to rely on him once more. You need to reassert your belief in him and your trust and your faith that his promises are true recognizing that it doesn't require any of your work and your efforts, but just belief, belief and trust, surrender to Him. Lord, do that work here, we pray. Pour out your Spirit upon this place and move in the hearts of each of these here now, Lord, myself included. And whatever, Lord, you're working in our lives here in this moment, and maybe throughout this week, Lord, may we just cast it before you here today. 
Lord, you tell us to cast our cares upon you for you care for us. You tell us, Lord, to take your yoke upon us for your burden's light. And that's counterintuitive in our nature. We wouldn't think to be, be drawn into bondage to anything, to yoke ourselves to anything. But the reality is we are in bondage to the things of this world. And so, Lord, if there's somebody here today that needs to just surrender in that way to say, Lord, I'm going to take your yoke upon me and I'm going to allow you to carry the load. I'm going to allow you to walk beside me to take my burden or that we could leave here today feeling light and refreshed, Lord, knowing that you've got it. Whatever that work is, Lord, today I pray hearts here would surrender and allow you to do that. Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for your word, which you exalt above your own name, Lord. It's glorious. It's amazing. We praise you for it. In the midst of storms, Lord, we say thank you for all that you have done for us, Lord. Father, may you be blessed by the praises we lift to you now, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week, so make sure you're subscribed to the weekly e-bulletin so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info, or if there are any prayer requests you'd like to share with us, be sure to visit us at ccnortheast.org.